Hey, I'm Alex Johnson, and you're listening to The Monarchist. Hey, Monarch Nation. Welcome back to The Monarchist. It's Mike, and I'm here with Gary and Aaron on a Sunday postgame wrap-up. Uh, Old Dominion goes down to Boone and loses 27-14. to 14. Uh, The score is not really representative of the actual game, but we'll get into that. How are you all doing today? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out, man. I am caffeinating myself. It was an uh, interesting day of football yesterday. Yeah, yesterday is one of the first days I've been actually at home for a football Saturday since I think August or early, early September. Uh, so I got to watch a lot of football, a lot of different teams, but tough one to watch down there in Boone, especially in the first half. We were so close there a couple of different times to to really making that a game. But uh, just we'd circled that one as a, as a tough one to win at the beginning of the season and it continued to to do it. But I enjoy being able to watch football from 11 a.m. to about 2 a.m. You mentioned a couple of drives in the first half that we look like we were figuring it out. One, third down, third down and long. Uh, Hayden Wolf finds Javon Harvey for a 47-yard pass play. They get into the red zone. Next play, Brendan Clark comes in and immediately fumbles it. I'm not sure I like that play call to switch the quarterbacks at that point. Uh, I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback here, but Hayden Wolf gets that confidence. He finally connects on a big play and immediately pull him out. I I don't know. Hayden's proven to be very much a rhythm quarterback. If he completes a couple of short or easier passes early in the game, he usually gets going and does pretty well. Uh, we haven't been able to find that rhythm really since the first half of Georgia State. So it, it happened a couple times where – I liked it when we did the Mac attack offense and how that kind of caught people off guard, but that hasn't worked really since the coastal Carolina game, but you get that big gain. And, you know, typically we've seen the next play is going to be a run up the middle. Usually when we get those big first down plays, Uh, but to take Hayden out after that, bring in Brendan Clark, who's cold off the bench on a cold day, trying to hold that football. uh, It was kind of a recipe for disaster and really killed the momentum for us. And it happened on a later drive as well. And I'll add, it, it seemed like there was a problem just holding on to the ball for both teams yesterday. I know I can count at least three times App fumbled it early. The ball seemed to bounce their way each time, but you had the punt, a Chase Price fumble, and I believe there's one other fumble they had that just ended up bouncing right back to App. But I don't know what they did to the balls yesterday. They just seemed to be a lot more slippery than usual. I think between it being cold and, you know, we did see Chase Bryce on the broadcast yesterday kind of symboling to the sidelines that the ball was slippery. I don't know if that's one of those things like, hey, the ball's slippery, you know, but it just slipped out of your hand. It really wasn't that slippery. It's kind of like, oh, my leg is hurt. And, you know, your ego was hurt more. Um, but, yeah, I think the third one you're talking about, Mike, was probably right there on the sideline. It popped up out of the running, I think it was the running back's hands and just kind of bounced, you know, right back to App State. We really, we didn't get the benefit of any of those bounces at all. Yeah, Chase Bryce had one where he kind of rolled left in the pocket a little bit to avoid pressure and it like it 
it's like he was trying to throw it behind his back. It looked really funny, but he was able to jump on it because the rush was going to the other side of the field and there was no one else really around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's 40 degrees. It's probably the first true like cold weather game that both teams have played in this season. So I think just getting used to that and that feel of the ball and, you know, it gets cold, your hand is dry and you're trying to squeeze an oddly shaped ball. Uh, weird things happen. I think it's even worse though, if you've been over on the bench with your hands in your, your pocket for, you know, the, the first part of the game. Uh, but really that, that changed a, a lot of momentum for us. I mean, you think of when that was, that was our second drive of the game, I believe. And we were on the app state 20 and we were down three to nothing. You know, if, if we're able to even just get a field goal there that I think that changes the whole feel of this game early on. And it, it probably gives the offense a little bit more confidence, gives the defense a little bit more confidence of saying like, hey, app scored. We came back and tied it up. You know, we, we've got a chance in this thing. I, I've always said if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I like the specialty package with Mac that we had there for a while, but I think trying to do that with Brendan Clark. I mean, you're basically just putting in a different version of Hayden Wolf back there. Serious question for you guys, because you guys watch more football than me. Um, and I agree that package worked phenomenally at the coastal game, but everything worked at that coastal game. And those packages really have not worked at all since the coastal game. We've seen kind of uh, error after error that's happened whenever we've switched out a quarterback for Hayden. In all the football that you've watched, how many how many situations where we have switching of quarterbacks like that have worked out really well that you guys are aware of? Because I'm not aware of a ton of them. It's pretty pretty rare for it to work. Um, it, there are some examples that where it worked. I mean, there's a very old example where Chris Leak with Tim Tebow. That's one of the probably the most productive versions of it ever. But the old adage is if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero. It's one of the things that got Spurrier ran out of Florida, if you all remember. Yeah, I remember you watching a lot of Oklahoma football, Landry Jones and Blake Bell, the belldozer package, but they were two very different quarterbacks. Landry Jones was very much the pocket passer, wasn't as big of a guy. And then Blake Bell was, he, I mean, he's an NFL tight end. He's been in the NFL for 10 years now. So very, very different styles. And I think you see that with, Mac and Hayden, like they're both big guys, but Mac is a little bit more of a runner, uh, not as strong of a passer. Um, but I mean, that that package has not worked since Coastal. I mean, I think we've had a fumble. We've had an interception. We've had a couple of things go really wrong there. And especially when you're when when QB one, like if Hayden's going to be your guy moving forward, like let him stay out there when things start cooking, because you need some sort of consistency, some sort of simplicity to the offense. Uh, Cause we ha just haven't had that rhythm. It's been painful to watch it. And then to see that drive come together, convert some big third downs, like making big plays. And then that swap out really, I think just took, took the air out of it, uh, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Yeah. That drive in the third quarter, is that what the one you're talking about? Where 12 plays, 53 yards, but we start the drive with Clark. And then we go back to Wolf in the middle of the drive. And we go back to, Clark and then we go back to Wolf and I think the drive ends up with like two straight sacks one on Clark one on Wolf yeah there, there were a couple instances of it um but it just seemed like anytime we made that switch it's like we were starting from scratch with any kind of momentum or rhythm or 
anytime we kind of caught the defense with the wrong personnel in the field or in a wrong formation, we made that switch and gave them time to go swap out. Uh, I mean, you, you saw our defense, our offense clicked best in those last couple drives because we went fast. We didn't try any quarterback swapping. Uh, receivers were able to get their timing down and get open, and we scored two touchdowns. Um, I mean, really, the, the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second, really finished this game one way or another. I'm not saying the guys definitely didn't quit. We scored later, but you know there were a lot of really key moments in that late first quarter, early second quarter that swung this thing to, to be out of reach early. Now, uh, I want to bring us back to the – or bring us to the second red zone uh, drive. This is the one that ended on the fourth down attempt where we do a reverse – what should have been a wide receiver to a quarterback pass. I don't understand that call. Um, you're fourth and seven, fourth and goal, right? There's not a whole lot of space to operate, which is why the red zone is so difficult to score in because everyone's bunched up. So safeties aren't deep. They're closer to the line. Linebackers are closer to the line. Everyone's closer to the line. So you don't those trickeration plays, you don't have much room to operate in. And I, I just don't understand that call. You take the ball out of Hayden's hands. You could have kicked the field goal and just took the points, but you put it in Harvey's hand on a reverse, and he has nowhere to go. And just basically gets tackled, push out of bounds, drive over zero points. So now we've had two red zone attempts at zero points. At the minimum, you should have six at this point. That red zone opportunity, we had seven plays inside the 10. We started at the three. We kind of got backed up to the four, ended up at the seven after a penalty. We had a penalty called against App State that gave us that first down. Uh, I mean, that was tough to watch not being able to punch it in with seven attempts from the seven or better. We had come close on quite a few, some incomplete passes, some balls tipping out of hands, things like that. But and Coach Ronnie, to his credit in the postgame, said that, you know, if he could go back and do it again, he would have kicked the field goal on fourth and seven from the seven after watching the offense. But you call that trick play that it was really like the Philly special, like the handoff to the wide receiver. He goes to the right. Hayden leaks out app covered it well to their credit. They, they saw that play developing pretty quickly, but that's a, that's one you call on third and seven. And if you get it fantastic, if you don't, you kick, you take your three and, and you move on. Um, that was, that was a, that was a tough, tough sequence to watch. They're really missing that red zone playmaker, like a Zach Koontz and Ollie Jennings, that go-to guy to get you the first down, to get you the touchdown. Really just didn't see anyone emerge uh, on that. I, I think Hayden had a couple of of tough passes on that one that he probably wishes that he could have had back. I targeted Marquise Dietz twice, um, which Marquise Dietz was able to get open in the red zone. Just the passes just weren't there. Yeah, the first pass is in the corner there to Page. That was the play that I think had the most opportunity for success. And we're just a couple inches away from a touchdown there. Um, You know, in retrospect, I'm hoping on second down that we either go right back to that same play or we go something very complimentary where the guy that's covering the receiver there has that in the back of his mind of, I just got beat. I just got lucky. Um, And that not being a touchdown and break it off in a different direction. But I don't know, kind of want to just went off the rails the next few downs. 
Well, I'd like to see those kind of pass those fades past a big receiver or a tight end because it can kind of box out. Whereas Page is moving so quickly and he can't get that second foot in. At the same time, he can also get pushed a lot easier. A guy like Spencer or Wentz or someone like that is going to have a better opportunity to stand their ground and get that foot in. But it's easy to say from my couch. You have two red zone drives, zero points out of it, and we're down 24 nothing at half. If you if you manage any points out of those drives, you give some more confidence to the defense. You get more confidence to the offense. You know, it only takes one drive to really get it to be a one-score game. So you got to get points out of those opportunities, and we just didn't execute, and got to be better. We cannot move on to the second half without talking about Jason Henderson going out of the game. Uh, that, that was a, a really, really tough sequence. You know, that was that happened on App's third drive of the game, which ended up being their first touchdown drive of the game. And I think that sequence right there, along with the fumble uh, and a couple other kind of missed opportunities for the offense, kind of kind of buried the team. Unfortunately, right there. I mean, Jason Henderson goes out making a Jason Henderson play, right? Three guys had missed the tackle. He latches on to a, a huge tight end, kind of gets pulled down the field a little bit, comes up and, and he's got a leg injury to go with. I think Coach Ronnie said he had three other injuries as well. Uh, we, we may get some details on that here in the next couple of days, but he goes out. We see him get carted off a little bit later. First play that he's out, App State, or we, we really blow a coverage. App State takes advantage of it, scores a touchdown. Uh, then they... They come out on their next drive, one play, 75 yards. The drive after that, eight plays, 60 yards. That's 21 points right there. Uh, and that that really, in my opinion, swung the game. I think the defense needed to get their bearings a little bit, and they were not able to uh, with, with Jason being out, losing that, that general on the field and the person who makes a lot of those big plays and, and calls a lot of the stuff on the field. I mean, that, that little window there with Jason going out and allowing 21 points to make it 24, nothing was, was just really brutal. And I mean, that, that happened, there was still seven and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. But uh, it's a shame that he lost. He got, he's injured, um, had an amazing season, was the leader of our defense, but the hits just keep on coming for this team. I mean, how many more studs do we need to lose in one season? It's just been brutal to watch. And Ryan Henry missed this game with an injury as well. So your two starting linebackers were out. Um, I thought Malcolm Britt did a good job stepping up. Uh, EJ Green uh, in there as well. Stevie Williams played played a little bit, but I don't think he was on the field much there in the second half. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of names I had to go look up on the roster on the defensive line that were making tackles that I hadn't seen before. So we're just we're, depth has become an issue because of all the injuries. I think that's the silver lining. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about this game a little bit more, but the silver lining that we can take away, one of them we can take away in this game, is a lot of young guys got run yesterday. A lot of guys we haven't had the opportunity to see play uh, got out there. You mentioned Britt. You mentioned, you know, D-Test three catches later in this game. The young guys that are rushing that get to the quarterback later in the game. So, yeah, Chris Trinidad had a great game. In uh, relief. Yeah. Yep. Um, another name, I mean, we've said his name throughout the season. Sean Asbury seemed to have a really quality game yesterday. Uh, he was making plays through, over, all over the place. And then Taj Rael was flying around the ball. 
Wayne Matthews got a lot of run at linebacker. Um, and he, he ended up having a, a pretty good game. He had three tackles. I believe he also, uh, he just had the three tackles and he, he did force a fumble. Uh, we were not able to recover it, but he forced it. Uh, Chris Kane also, he had a sack on the day. He's a sophomore, uh, that, that really hasn't played a whole lot this season, but he got some good time on the field. Um, you know, you, you had some younger guys stepping up, making some big plays. And and that's really what I want to see in the South Alabama game too, is, you know, what does the future look like? Can we get some good game experience? You know, App State never benched their starters because it really never got to the point where you could take your ones out. So they weren't just getting experience on the field. They were getting quality experience against, you know, the, the top line of the other team. And one other name that I wanted to throw out there who has emerged earlier in the season with Ali going down is Javon Harvey. Javon, you know, had four catches, only four, but they were big catches, 133 yards, two touchdowns. So he continues to emerge and to develop. And I think that's another silver lining going into the next season. He stepped up really into the Ali Jennings role in that second half. I mean, those were those big, long touchdown catches that we are used to seeing from Ali Jennings. So I was encouraged by that. Uh, if we can get that consistently from him and take that into next season, that's going to be big because we've got to have playmakers step up on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we're losing Ali Jennings, Zach Koontz, Blake Watson walked at senior day. So you got to assume that he's not coming back, but those are your three, your biggest offensive playmakers right there. And, and we're going to need some guys to step up. Uh, it was good to see Marquise Dietz get some playing time. He had a career high three catches for 50 yards. Marquez Bell had a couple of catches uh, and, uh, like the idea of using Levi Wentz down in the red zone, as big as he is, as tough as he is, um, I think that could be a kind of a future weapon for us down there in the red zone, either out of the slot or line up kind of in the tight end spot as well. There's a few defensive names I want to throw out here that I, I don't think we've seen on the box score that often. Jaleel Colbreth had a tackle yesterday. He's a true freshman. Mario Easterly had a tackle uh, solo, and uh, he's a true freshman. So. Sorry to go back on the freshman thing and them getting a good run, but uh, it's great to see true freshmen out there getting that experience. So the next time they're out there, they're maybe a little bit more com comfortable and confident in what they're doing, and we can keep building for the future. Javon has been kind of a revelation. He was that second receiver we've been looking for all year. It's just a shame that Ali is now hurt, and he has to be the number one. But he did have a great game yesterday. Happy to see it, especially since he's a local boy. He could become a huge star for us. Um, can't wait to see what the future holds for him. One other name on the defensive side, uh, Marcus Knight. Uh, second game that he's played for Old Dominion, got his first tackle. It was an assisted tackle on a third down uh, that forced App State to actually punt. So um, you know, shout out to him because you know we'll have some – some need to replace some safety help there uh, going into next season. So he's a, a, a true sophomore, but uh, was playing very, very fast out on the field. All right. And then this is the point where we talk about how great Ethan Dwayne is. Um, another fantastic game from him. His first punt, kind of a booming knuckleball. The punt returner can't really handle that well, fumbles it. And for App's benefit, just bounces their direction. So he had another fantastic game. Five punts, 45.4 average, pinned two within the 20. Uh, I know one was 
fair caught around like the six or seven yard line. Um, just another fantastic game from him. I'm hoping he can continue getting his recognition from the Ray Guy Punter of the Week awards. No, I agree. I mean, he's kicking ass, well, kicking footballs every game, um, and has just continued to perform splendidly. Uh, it's not often that you see little kids flexing in the stands with a 95 looking up to the punter, but, I mean, he has had a phenomenal season. Uh, I hate that he has to actually kick the ball so much, but we're lucky that we have a guy who's so good when we've needed to punt so much. It's a weapon. He's going to have some company for that Ray Guy award this week. There were some some big-time punters going. I think the, the guy for Oklahoma last night, Michael Turk, had 11, averaging 50 yards, three inside the 20. Um, that was pretty impressive. Uh, but, yeah, just being able to have a weapon that can flip the field for you, especially with as well as our defense can play and, and their style, that's that's huge. Um, just great to see him turn around after a, a pretty difficult go of things at ODU his first two years. He's tied for third in the country right now for punts inside the 20. I don't think we've highlighted that stat yet this season, but he is tied for third in the country punting into the into the 20. So he's up there this year. But that that's a phenomenal game from that Oklahoma punter. He also proposed to his girlfriend on the field after the Bedlam game last night. So lots of lots of winning going on there. And she's a all-American softball player. So Ethan's progression from year one to year two has been exponential. He's a sophomore. Got two more years. Can only imagine how good he's going to be next year and then his senior year. I mean, I can't imagine it would be quite as exponential from year one to year two, from year two to three, but the sky's the limit, I think. Uh, no pun intended. It's going to go replace Tress Way for you with the commanders. His in 20 percentage is 42%. That is ridiculous. I'm so happy he's going to be back next year because we're probably going to need him. And it, it removes one of those question marks. You don't have to worry about that. Ethan Sanchez is back next year. We don't have to worry about kicking. The rest of the field, though, we're going to, we have a lot of holes that we're going to have to evaluate. And that's what I'm hoping to see in the South Alabama game. We need to start looking forward and, I, I really appreciate Ricky's uh, loyalty to the seniors and not taking these opportunities away from the seniors just to prepare for the future, but you got to mix them in. Um, and we got to see what these young guys can do. I want to point out Blake Watson had a fantastic game uh, and kind of talking about getting some other, other guys in the field, but Blake Watson, 10 carries for 69 yards and seven catches for 73 uh, would love to see more touches for Keyshawn Wicks. You know, he had two and went for nine yards. Tariq Sims had three carries for six yards. I think that's if, if Blake Watson really is leaving and by walking on senior day, I, I'm assuming that he is. Uh, that's already a room that is missing quite a few pieces and is not very deep. Uh, so I'd love to just see what we have a little bit more there from Keyshawn Wicks, uh, Obisani, Tariq Sims, and kind of know like, hey, we got 5,000 wide receivers. Can one of them go be the next Blake Watson? We'll see. Moving on to South Alabama. Are we ready to do that here? Yeah. All right. It's uh, a huge game. We're going to South Alabama. They're a ball team. They've been playing good football all year. Um, not going to be an easy task, but uh, if we can use this as a kind of a, an opportunity to let those seniors get that last 
bit of action before maybe their careers are over and cycle in some of these young guys and see what they've got. I think that would be a fantastic thing here. Um, wouldn't mind seeing maybe a half from Wolf, a half from Clark. There's not much we can do in this game. They're already a bowl team. They're not going to win. I don't believe they can win the Sunbelt West because Troy locked that up yesterday. So there's really nothing on the line for us winning here other than pride and rewarding these football players for doing this work before a long offseason begins. What would you guys like to see in this game? I mean, really, I'd like to see this be the Coastal Carolina game 2.0. We're going on the road against a really good team, and we come out, we punch them in the mouth, catch them sleeping a little bit, and win. Um, I, I think that is a long shot because South Alabama is a really good team. I mean, they're 9-2. and two. They've got a, a one-point loss at UCLA, who played a crazy game last night against USC. And then they have a 10-6 to six loss to Troy, who's also a really good team. Uh, they seem to have found more offense in the last few games, but you know, for ODU, I, I want to see the young guys to continue to develop. I want us to have less doubt going into the offseason about what's currently on our roster. So I, I think your idea of, of maybe giving a half to Hayden and a half to Brendan Clark would be a good thing because we, we have to have we have to know what we have to have an effective strategy going into the portal with freshmen coming in. We, we need to know like if Hayden's going to be the guy. Awesome. Hayden's going to be the guy. Let's go. Um, if Brendan Clark is not the guy. Um, I imagine he's probably not going to be here for much longer, but we need to know. We need to be able to see that and, and make a good game plan there. We're going to lose a lot off the defense, so continuing to see those younger guys rotate in on the defensive side of the ball will be fantastic. You know, Mike, I'm I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, I'm looking at this, the West Division here. I see Troy and South, ba- South Alabama both 6-1. and one. Uh, I know that Troy beat South Alabama earlier this season, but if South Alabama wins and Troy loses, I think South Alabama still has a shot. I could be wrong, though. Troy plays Arkansas State this week. They're not losing. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they could. They could possibly lose. I, I don't see it happening. I think my point is that South Alabama is going to come out fired up. Yeah. I mean, they know they still have a chance. They also know that ODU made them play this game on this day instead of another day. So there's lots of stories for the coach to get them fired up to really try to take it to us. So I think it's a great opportunity for our players. Those young guys get in, they're going to get, they're going to get the the best South Alabama possible. Yeah. We're also making them kick at 11 AM central time uh, because of the iron bowl later in the day. Um, If you, you want to look at, you know, where ODU, could have a chance to win this game is one. The offense needs to look like it did on its last two drives need to take shots, need to be aggressive, need that consistency, need to be able to put up some points. Uh, but one area where South Alabama struggles a little bit on offense is red zone efficiency. They're 84th in the country. Uh, Old Dominion's defense is 11th in the country in red zone defense. Uh, so if we can hold them in the red zone to field goals and our offense can somehow get past this really, really good South Alabama defense. I think we have a chance to stay in this game. Uh, If it's like App State, though, and we get down two or three scores, it's going to be really tough to come back against that defense. But there is a a narrow pathway to victory here. But I think if we score in our first drive offensively, I'm going to feel a lot different about the outcome of that game than if we go another three and out and have to punt. All right. So I'm I'm just kind of focused on 
this offseason at this point. Um, I love this team. I love that they have not quit in any game and they keep fighting. Um, I'm going to miss a lot of these seniors because it's been fun to watch guys like Trey Hawkins, uh, Sal DeBerry, uh, but I'm kind of focused on the portal and this offseason right now. And I'm sorry because we have a game left and I should be focused on that and what happens next Saturday. But um, I got my eyes towards the future. Luckily, my eyes don't really matter because, but that's where I'm locked down and I feel bad about it. I put something out yesterday before the App State game saying like we've, we've got two games left. Enjoy watching actual football because we're going to have about nine months to worry about the portal and recruits and speculation and spring game and who's starting where. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy the football while, while we have it. I'm going to enjoy watching that game, even if it frustrates the hell out of me sometimes to watch them, especially on offense, but it's going to be much better than hot take central for the next nine months. I think that the worst thing about not, going to a bowl game is the three or four weeks of practice you get. It's almost like a second summer camp after your last game. We could really, really use that practice time and we don't have it. So it's important for the team this week to have a great week of practice, get in as much work as possible, get everything you can out of this last game, because, you know, you're, you're going to come back and probably meet on Sunday after the game. Uh, and then you're going to be gone and you won't really get back together until 2023. So, um, I'm just going to enjoy watching this last game and and hope like hell we can go and put a ding on South Alabama's nice record. Yeah, I like that energy. I, I will watch this game, and I'm excited to watch it as I am all football. But, yeah, it's it's hard to not look towards the future. But now that you think say it, I really hate the offseason because the hot takes are just so over the top. Speculation on who's going where in the portal, who's going to be in the early signing date. I mean, it's fun stuff with that, but then you get that lull after the first signing period, and you're like, all right, are we going to lose more coordinators and assistants? And if we do, who's going to backfill? It's it's a lot of stuff that's not on the field that it it's hard to quantify. So, I totally understand looking to the future, and I do want to see the younger guys get out there and play and develop and see what we've got, but. Uh, I still want us to to go down there and, and kick the shit out of South Alabama. It's going to be really tough because they're good, but man, that would be a nice way to end the season. Yeah. And going back to Ricky, they said it during the game twice, I think about how Ricky wants, he doesn't want to just play players just because they're younger. Uh, he doesn't want to take that away from the seniors who this might be their last couple of games. And I'm thinking about my last game. I didn't, we didn't know. In high school, if you're playing in the playoffs, you don't know it's your last game until it's over. And once it's over, it hits you, and it hits you hard. Um, so I really do rep, uh, realize and appreciate his wanting to give those seniors every last opportunity they have. But I'm a fan, and I'm selfish. So <laughs> I do want to talk about the future and look towards it, but – at the same time, I, I really do feel for those guys that will be playing their last game this next Saturday. Uh, thank them for all of that they've given to Old Dominion football. And I know there's going to be some underclassmen we won't see in ODU uniforms again. And I want to thank them for their um, contributions to the program. Aaron, sorry for cutting you off there. What do you got? It's okay for it to feel both ways. So, of course, we want them to go down to South Alabama and whoop their ass. And we're going to be cheering hard for that. We do every single week. 
But at the same time, we're committed. We are as committed to this program as anybody at ODU. We've been with this football team as long as anybody at ODU. I remember the season ticket wait list a couple years before it started of putting the deposit down. So we are just as invested. Coaches come and go. Administrators come and go. But as fans, we're here for life. We have been. So looking forward is natural. But we're not playing on Saturday. So we have the ability to both cheer as hard as we can on Saturday and look forward to the future. Not our energy being split isn't going to reduce our chances for a win on Saturday like it is for the coaches and players. So it's natural to look ahead. It's natural to look at the young players on the squad, a lot of them being local kids too, and to be excited about that and then be interested in what's going to happen. Me personally, I think Hayden's the future of the program. And when he has an opportunity, he makes really nice plays. He throws a great deep ball. He's shown an ability to move around more so now in the second half of the season than we've ever seen before. And I think we just had a ton of injuries this year, which has made it difficult for him to perform to his potential. I mean, he's not Kyler Murray. He's not going to run all over the place. He's not Michael Vick. Can't have a, um, you know, a unit where there has been no continuity because of so many injuries and for that position to play to its potential. The same with Blake. Blake's had phenomenal results when he's had an opportunity or just small areas for him to run in, but it's been difficult because I know Ricky won't talk about it or he won't make a big deal about it, but we have had a lot of injuries there. Um, so it will be very interesting in the next couple of months when it comes to the portal and high school recruiting. I, Mike, you shouldn't feel bad about that. I think it's an exciting time. Let's win Saturday, and then uh, we'll focus on that other stuff uh, very quickly and just know that what happens on primarily Twitter and Facebook and the message boards, people will overreact and overcorrect. And it's going to be crazy like it always is. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So I'm going to just say this. Football offseason reminds me of Game of Thrones. Winter is coming, guys. So I'm going to be with Gary here and just and Aaron and just enjoy these last few quarters of football we have. Because it is a long, dark winter without ultimate football in our lives. Well, let's hope, unlike or like Game of Thrones, characters come and go in that pretty easily, too. You know, if you are a Ned Stark fan, immediately you're like, what the? How, how do you kill off this guy this fast? Sean, Sean Bean can't catch a break, man. He gets killed earlier. He's the bad guy in everything. I'm a big Hound fan, uh, and he kind of came and gone, and the winter is coming, guys. We got to just be ready for this. Just try to enjoy what we got. Hopefully, we get some good football and we see some progression. Um, maybe some continuance of that fourth quarter early in the game. Because we've said it for weeks now, we get down early and we have to basically abandon the run. And we were productive. I mean, Blake was averaging what, 6.9 yards per carry yesterday? But he only gets 10 carries. 
Wicks was getting four and a half a pop, and he only got two. Right. So last season, we were productive in the second half because we could run the ball, and it made it easier to throw, right? This year, we couldn't run. So defenses could just protect, uh, defend us against the pass, and they were fine, making it harder to pass. Hayden did make some big steps this year by protecting the ball passing-wise. I'd like him to get better maybe protecting the ball in the in the pocket when he gets hit or when he's running. He had a fumble yesterday running the ball. So, yeah, uh, Hayden did definitely make some progression there. So I, I would like to agree with you, Aaron, that he has the tools. We just need to surround him with a more complete offense. Um, there were some things yesterday that I saw App do that I think could work really well for Hayden. Um, they rolled him out really well, creating space for him and allowing the receivers to get through their routes and him to have a better idea of who to hit. And Bryce looks a lot like Hayden size-wise. I mean, he's not the fastest guy, but he could move with his legs a little bit. Um, yeah, and Hayden had a few runs yesterday that were very productive and showed you that the RPO could work with him if he does not hesitate to run and take off. So I can see the future there with him. I would like to see what we have with Clark. I'm just ready for this to watch this last four quarters and appreciate it for what it is because this offseason is going to be a long one, especially with the portal going nuts, whatever staff changes are ahead of us, and another very difficult schedule lying waiting for us in 2023. Hayden, since he ditched the knee brace, has become significantly more mobile, not just from you know keeping it and running it, but the way he moves in the pocket. Uh, so I hope Justin Walker has taken that knee brace and walked it outside and thrown it in the dumpster a la Ron Swanson uh, with his computer to get that out of there because uh, he, he just looks more confident without that thing on. He's more mobile. He still has a lot of work to do, especially with ball security when he's in the pocket. I mean, he's had a lot of strip sacks uh, this year. But you've almost seen him become a little bit more confident, a little more comfortable. I think if Hayden is the guy moving forward, and I mean, I don't really think he's been that bad this year. He hasn't been great, but I don't think he's been that bad. If you can tailor the offense to fit him instead of trying to, you know, square peg round hole with with RPO, I think there could be a lot of success. But you also have to remember, we have an offensive coordinator that was handed the job unexpectedly less than three weeks before the season started. Uh, first really OC job that he's had coming from the O-line gets thrown into the fire a little bit. Then you add in all of the injuries. I mean, you lose your top two playmakers uh, throughout the, the course of the season. I mean, it's it, it's not like there was this cupcake schedule either. I mean, every game is tough. You know, it's not, we don't have, you know, an FIU to go and, and beat the hell out of and, and pump everybody up. So, you know, it, a lot of things went against us this year. We could have definitely played better and picked up more wins here and there. Like, I'm not excusing, you know, poor play. But, you know, I think having a nice offseason to reset, get some more weapons in the door, have guys with more experience, have some consistency will be be very, very nice. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just enjoy watching the game on Saturday, drinking beer and um, probably dealing with the 15 pounds I gained from all the stuff I'm cooking for Thanksgiving. Well, speaking of gaining weight, and carry over from the end of this game. First quarter, I'd like to see some more of the lunch beat package. That's just me personally. I don't hate that idea. 
double tight run it a little bit. I don't know. Something to throw South Alabama off. Uh, I think he's talking about Deets and Watson, baby. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Deets and Watson. That's exactly what I was thinking, man. The lunch meat package. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was great to see how well they used uh, him and Wolf and Watson connected really well in the backfield yesterday. That was great to see. Um, he's a talent, and I know I'm going to miss Blake, so I'm going to try to appreciate him. As Mike scolds his dog. No, I was just asking if she's good, because I think someone was outside of her door. She wants a lunch meat package, too. She does. Um, but yeah, Watson and Wolf yesterday were they did really well working him into the back, uh, into the passing game yesterday. I'd like to see more of that because this is going to be probably the last time we see Watson in an ODU uniform. And I'm just going to appreciate while we got it because we've seen it with other players throughout the years. It's not easy to replace these dudes always. Um, we had Taylor. Wasn't easy to replace Taylor. We find David Washington. Uh, he fills in well and brings us to 10 wins. Um, we haven't had a quarterback like him in a long time. And then uh, we had Ray Lowry. He was awesome. But now we have Blake, and he crossed the 2,000-yard mark for his career yesterday. There's no guarantees that we're going to be able to replace him immediately. So I, I just kind of want to appreciate him. And um, we know with Weaver last year how hard it is to replace O-Lyman. So I'm going to appreciate Sal for this last game. Um, Artarian Johnson's been fantastic as a safety. I'm going to appreciate him on, on Saturday. So I wish them all the best of luck and hope they have an awesome game next Saturday and maybe make South Alabama's record look a little bit uglier. And uh want to call out here, Stone Smart is active as a tight end for the Chargers today. So pumped to see Stone uh, getting some play now in the NFL as well. He's Similar like a Stevie Williams, he played quarterback, wide receiver. I mean, he he d- does whatever is needed and gonna get a gonna get some snaps in the NFL today. So hopefully that uh, motivates some of our guys as well who are likely gonna be playing on Sundays here before too long. Oh yeah, we got a bunch of guys to watch today. Oh yeah, Taylor's the quarterback moving forward for the Commanders. Let's go. All right, fellas. Well, I guess uh, after the break we're gonna be joined by Doug Conkle. So stay tuned for that. Uh, He will teach you all about South Alabama football. But uh, thank you guys both. And um, hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving for all ODU fans listening and you too as well. Uh, Thanks for listening. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Welcome back to the Monica's Podcast. Today we are joined by Doug Conkle. Doug is the publisher of the South Alabama Jaguar site of 247sports.com. Doug, welcome to the world's best and only ODU podcast. It is, it's truly an honor, a surprising honor, I admit, because I really um, haven't learned much about Old Dominion. Didn't know you guys existed until you reached out to me yesterday. So <laughs> it is a thrill of almost an entire 24 hours of my life right now going on. Well, thanks again for joining us, Doug. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Old Dominion and South Alabama started football the same year. We'd love to learn more about the birth of the program and what's happened since up until the point Kane was hired. 
First, I like to point out that I'm old enough that Old Dominion and South Alabama were conference mates way back when. I remember seeing Chris Gatling and that team coming in, into the Mobile Civic Center and playing for the Sunbelt Championship back when basketball was really rocking in those days. And hopefully we'll rock again now that we have some talented new blood like you guys joining the conference. But uh, you're right, South Alabama and Old Dominion, to my knowledge, they started about the same time. Uh, South Alabama didn't go the FCS route when they started. They went in with, since they were already a member of a FBS conference, they had an automatic line there. They just had to go through a couple of hoops. So they actually played their first two years against um, teams that were not uh, Division One uh, NCAA teams. So they didn't count as players playing. So they were redshirt years for those guys. So they got a chance to play and still keep redshirts, which uh, back then was kind of exceptional. So they played a bunch of prep schools, uh, JV teams, that kind of thing, and blew everybody out. So it was very exciting at that point. And then they moved into an FCS schedule. I believe that was 2010 and 2011. And then 2012 was their transitional year. 2013, their first uh, year of being a full FBS bowl eligible participant. So in 2012, they won two games, if I remember correctly. And 2013 was actually turned out to be a shockingly good team. They only went six and six, but they lost three or four games by a touchdown or less. And it could have been so much more, maybe gotten the program off on a better footing going forward after that. Cause they, as you probably know, this year is the first year they have actually guaranteed themselves a winning season. They've never gotten more than six wins since they transitioned to FBS. So Joey Jones started the program, former Alabama star receiver, and then a really good high school football coach. He came in and got things going. Steve Campbell was here for three years. That's the guy who won championships at the junior college level and had been a, a very good coach at FCS before he came here. That didn't work out so well. But then Kane Womack, who had been the defensive coordinator for the last two years of the Joey Jones era, came back from Indiana, where he had been the defensive coordinator, hired as a head coach, youngest head coach in the FBS ranks. And you know what? He, he just brought in a huge, I don't call it a culture change. All coaches preach toughness and, and all the things you're supposed to have. He really had a fully developed plan for how to execute it, though. And the transfer portal certainly was something he embraced and has managed to make work for him as well. Man, that is a good summarization. You actually answered what I was going to ask. This is obviously uh, Kane's second season. His first was five and seven, nine and two this year so far. I mean, obviously the plan that he's laid seems to be starting to really come together. Could you give us maybe some specifics? Obviously, you talked a little bit about recruiting there, but some more specifics in how he's got the Jacks playing their best football ever. Well, there certainly is um, a lot of accountability within the program. They do a lot of empowering the players to, I won't say discipline each other, but for instance, if, if somebody makes a mistake that that would warrant some form of punishment, I'm not talking about anything major, but you, you know, something where ordinarily you would say a, a broken team rule, instead of instead of the, uh, the the offender doing it, the offender has to tell the rest of the team to do the punishment. So it really holds you accountable to, you know, you're going to, you're going to do have, make these guys do something unpleasant because of something you did and you have to pick out what it is. So, you know, things like that really help get these guys tight knit and they're a very tight knit group um, of players. He's brought in even the transfers he's brought in just in this past year and he brought in 16 of them. Even those guys are really bought in now, and it's a very much a team and family atmosphere. I think it helps that he's so young. I mean, this is a guy who last year, Riley Cole was a star linebacker on that team, and he had recruited Riley when he was here as defensive coordinator. They, they would, like, wrestle in the locker room just for fun. I mean, that's when you got a young coach, that kind of stuff happens. And I think they, they love what he's done. 
great assistant coaching staff you put together. Um, and, and further than that, you guys know how football is now. It's, it's not just about your coaching staff. It's about all the support staff that you bring in as well. He brought in, uh, with, of course, approval of the athletic director, Joel Urban, when he hired him, he, he got a bigger budget, brought in a lot of support staff, doing a lot more things for the program. And, it, you know, the results were instant last year, if, if not for a knee injury to quarterback Jake Bentley, last year would have been the first winning season. This year, um, you know, they, they've, they're blown, blown everyone away, basically. They're 9-2, and two, uh, barely lost the two games they did lose. Uh, apologies to Old Dominion if it goes down like I think it's going to go down, but they're going to be a double-digit win team, even though they're not going to win their their division in the conference. It's just been an incredible year. And for a guy who's been there since day one, myself, um, you know, it's, it's a day that took so long to get here. You just, at a certain point, you just get numb and feel like it's never going to. And now that it's here, it seems almost unreal. All right, so we're going to get to the defense later. We know the defense is very stout. This offense seems to be pretty balanced overall, led by quarterback Carter Bradley. Can you talk to us about him, the signal caller? Um, you guys probably know a little bit about him. His dad's Gus Bradley, who was head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars and a defensive coordinator around the league, currently with the, the Colts. Um, so this guy grew up in football. He, he went to Toledo where he was a part-time starter there. Uh, they really they were transitioning to more of a mobile quarterback kind of a model of an offense, so it wasn't going to fit. So he comes to South Alabama, where Major Applewhite, um, who I'm sure most people in college football has an idea who he is, he's the offensive coordinator, and he's built an offense that makes good use of, of Bradley. His ability to recognize defenses is exactly what you'd expect from a guy who grew up in the game. He has a big arm. He can make all the passes, and he's more mobile than people give him credit for as well. So he was certainly the key piece to what's happened this year is bringing in a quarterback like Bradley. He's handing the ball off to a guy who just seems to be really picking up speed and running back with Damian Webb. And he's got almost a thousand yards on the season, but two out of the last three weeks, he seems to have really blown up 162 yards rushing three weeks ago and then 247 yards the next one. Um, talk to us a little bit about that running back committee. Well, you, you, Webb is definitely the headliner, and um, and he's a remarkable back. He really is. And I don't know if people realize this. I don't think we've seen him healthy this year. He um, had a broken Liz Frank bone in his foot over the spring, got it during spring practice, and surgery to repair it. He was ready to go for the first game this year, which was great. But I don't think we've seen him completely comfortable. That's an injury that usually is kind of sore for about a year. And he's had other injuries as well. He didn't play this last weekend, for instance. Uh, but when he's out there, they're very committed to the run in this offense this year. They're going to make sure the defenses have got to be honest on playing it. They're going to keep running it. And Webb is great because he he's a short, stout guy. He can grind. He can get in there and dig out a yard or two, and it still looks like there's nothing there. And he's good enough to bounce it outside. This guy started some games at Florida State as a, as a recruit out of junior college. Then he went back to junior college and then bounced back to South Alabama. So he's amazing. Um, there's a freshman named Raylan McReynolds who this past week against Southern Mississippi rushed for hundred yards on 15 carries. He's another small guy. He's definitely more of a, of a lightning without the thunder of a web, but he's very elusive. and can do a lot in the game too. And then they have Marco Lee, who's a transfer from Virginia tech and Omni Wells, a transfer from uh, Mississippi state. And those guys really make a foreheaded monster. That's tough to deal with. They'll keep running them at you out there. And the offensive lines improved enough that they can force their will at times on defenses. All right, so we know you got a good running back. You got a pretty talented quarterback. Likes to spread the ball around. He's got three 
of his top receivers already have 50 catches on the year. And you got Wayne, Lacey, and Voisin. Voisin, yeah. Voisin? One of, one of right. three Voisins that were on the team. There's only two right now, but they're twins. Pretty awesome to have three receivers with 50 catches. Not a very common thing you see in college football. So what what is it about this offense where you're getting this much balance and productivity from all over the field? Well, it, it is a well-designed offense. Major Applewhite has had an opportunity to learn under some really great minds. He, he was Tom Herman's offensive coordinator when he was at Houston. They put up huge numbers. And that was more of a of a running quarterback style spread. Then he ends up at Alabama as an analyst where he helped Steve Sarkeesian run that offense. And love him or hate him, the guy knows offense. And, and Major Applewhite learned from Sarkeesian and brought that down. So a lot of it's RPO where, where there is a, a run and a pass option uh, when he has the ball. Now, it's not the quarterback running with the ball most of the time. It's, it's handing the ball off or not. But based on what he sees then and what he sees with those three receivers you mentioned and the tight ends as well are pretty prolific in this offense. He's got several ways he can go based on what the defense does. And Bradley's so quick at processing the game. He makes that read right almost every time, whether to give that ball off or to pull it back, and he hits the right receiver every time. Um, the, one of the losses this year was to Troy, a bitter rival, and that game's going to probably cost us a chance at a conference title, and that, that has hurt quite a bit. But in that one, Bradley was off just enough on a couple of deep passes that the Jags didn't score a touchdown and lost 10-6. to six. So it, it's just a, an off day like that um, can make the difference for him against a quality opponent. But most of the time, Bradley is right on. Now, Mike mentioned earlier about your defense and how it's been pretty stout. One guy sticks out to me when I look immediately is safety, Yam Banks. He's got five interceptions and one fumble recovery. Talk a little bit about Yam and what kind of makes that defense hum. So Yam Banks plays a position that's uh, called the Husky in in Kane Womack's defense. Now, now, Kane Womack, if anybody doesn't know, his dad was Dave Womack, who is a football lifer defensive coordinator himself. And, and Kane kind of has taken his father's defensive uh, strategies and plans and schemes, and he's they've evolved over the years. They evolved from when he was here as a defensive coordinator to when he was in Indiana for two or three seasons and then came back. So it's like the Husky, however, is kind of the, the key position there. It's, it's known as the star in some places. It's basically the combination safety linebacker and, to be honest, kind of cornerback as well. Yan Banks will come on blitzes. He's got plenty of tackles behind the line. He's got lots of quarterback pressures. He's really good in coverage. He was recruited as a cornerback. He's just a big guy, though, at over 200 pounds, and he's fast and he's physical. And it was perfect for this role. So the Husky can be a guy who can affect the game in really any level on the defense. And Yan Banks has done that this year. So South Alabama runs a 4-2-5 defensive formation. That's, that is correct. You're right. Yes. Old Dominion runs the same defense. It's obviously you can modify it. I think I know what you're going for. It's 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 what is South Alabama's particular flavor of that defense. And I wish I were a smart enough football strategist to answer that really well for you, but I can tell you that um, one of the things that makes it go is South Alabama is blessed with a really good and deep defensive line. So they can rotate guys in and out there all the time. And so that, that four spot that sometimes the outside linebacker, sometimes they'll go for a defensive lineman, but they have so many good ones. They can put a bigger guy who can still get some pressure on the quarterback out of what would order to be a linebacker spot. And something that uh, Womack has really stressed in all his defenses is, is vision defense. So a lot of times in coverage, when they're going zone, they're dropping the linebackers and the, and the defensive backs back 
those guys are more or less going to a spot on the field and then looking at the quarterback. They're going to they're going to read his eyes more than any other defense in football. So it's hard to get a, a clean pass away against them because they're usually out there and they're already waiting for you. And then when you do that, there's not many yards after the catch because they're good fundamentally at tackling. And then also, you know, they're right on top of you when you catch the ball most of the time. So to ask a follow up, what is the senior class looking like this year for South Alabama? So, you know, obviously eligibility is a weird question right now, still as we work through the extra COVID year, guys. Uh, South Alabama it really only is only looking at losing um, three or four guys who, who have no more eligibility. They're, they could bring back as many as 10 starters on offense and 10 on defense. And that 10 on defense doesn't include two guys that are going to get medical red shirts this year. Uh, one is safety, Keith Gallman, who was an all-conference guy for a couple of years, who got injured right before the season started. The other one's a linebacker named Clinton Wilfont. Both those guys are really good players. So you can almost say they got 12 starters coming back on defense next year. So uh, the senior leadership has been there, but I'm telling you, there's leadership kind of up and down this roster. I, I wouldn't say any freshmen are, are out there carrying the banner, but from sophomores up, I can find you somebody in every position group uh, who's in a different class who is doing something to be a, a leader when it comes to their area. All right. So one of the places that's been a really good spot for Old Dominion the last couple of years has been special teams. We blocked a bunch of kicks. We have a phenomenal putter, Ethan Dwayne, who's really taking huge steps forward. Uh, this year. Talk to us a little bit about South Alabama's special teams. I do know that it looks like your place kicker has had a pretty darn good year at 41 of 42 and extra points and 15 of 16 off field goals. What does Monarch Nation need to be looking out for when it comes to y'all special teams? Special teams, to be honest, were a weak point last year. They really stepped it up this year and it, there was no coaching change. There was no real personnel change, but they just got better. Um, I think one of the things they got better and immediately is in the return game. Colin Lacey, you mentioned him before, is one of the one of the uh, wide receivers. He's had a great year returning punts and kicks. Braylon McReynolds, a freshman running back we talked about, has done a good job on kickoff returns as well. Jack Brooks, uh, you know, the the required Australian punter that everybody seems to have to have. Um, I think I think Jack is 29 years old now, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> he is. I think he's the oldest player in, in uh, FBS. Uh, he's a solid punter. I wouldn't say he's, he, he's universally and always spectacular. He can get away some boomers. Um, sometimes, you know, they won't be that great, but all in all, a very solid guy. And But the, the way they've improved, and you mentioned Diego Gardo, I can't not mention him, the place kicker, uh, is having a very good year. He's a local guy um, out of the Mobile area, so they're very proud of the way he's come together. I, I think the coverage units, though, have gotten a lot better. Um, so returns against them aren't as, as good as they used to be. And last year when I talked about having a good year, they gave up a couple of blocks, uh, both in punting and in kicking, and there has been no such sign of that this year. So they've been very good in protection. Uh, Old Dominion, like you said, has done a good job with that. So I think that's going to be something they're going to be looking on the lookout for. But, you know, Old Dominion is obviously going to be on the road two days after Thanksgiving. Um, they're, they're going to be an underdog in this game. Special teams, boy, that is, that's often the great equalizer. So I'm certain both programs are looking at it very carefully right now. And one other thing that is – quite often the great equalizer and has bitten us bad in the second half of the season has been injuries. Zach Koontz obviously is a name that your fans may have been familiar with. At tight end, we lost Zach for the year. And Ali Jennings, who was leading the country and receiving. We lost Ali for the rest of the season. And then if folks just watch this game on Saturday, know that Jason Henderson went out with an injury, and I can't imagine that he would be back for this game. 
Does South Alabama have any injuries that are really impacting them, or are you guys pretty healthy right now? The only injury that's out there right now that's uh, of any note really is, is LaDamian Webb. We talked about Mrs. last week. Um, some sort of a lower body injury, but I don't think it was very serious because I know he was a limited participant in practice. If he plays, he probably won't be full speed. So it'll be, I think, all 12 games, he won't actually be 100%. Uh, but other than that, I, I, it's actually really healthy. I know, I know maybe it's not very fair sounding compared to what you guys have gone through, but they've had a pretty good year in terms of what they've been able to do. I will say Carter Bradley, the quarterback this past week, got got nailed on his non-throwing shoulder and had to sit out uh, a little bit of the second quarter, but he came back in and led them to the victory. So that's obviously not going to keep him out. But, you know, it's the 12th game of the year. Everyone's got some dings here and there, and I think that's going to be the one he has to deal with. Yeah, I, last year we were pretty lucky with injuries, so I, I think we're just – Paying back for karma, I guess it always balances out over time. So we both know we both start the programs around the same time. Old Dominion started winning early and got the fans behind them pretty quickly. How has the fans? How have the fans reacted to the South Alabama program? I imagine with six wins before this season being the highest win total, it's kind of hard to build a very rabid fan base, but. I imagine this year, who wouldn't want to see a nine and two win team? How is that going along building this program? Well, you'd be surprised who doesn't care about a nine and two team sometimes, you know. Look, uh, we're in Mobile, Alabama. Um, not only are Auburn and Alabama laying claim for generations to people's loyalties, but even schools like LSU and the Mississippi SEC schools have some fans in the area. It's hard to pull those guys away. I'd say South Alabama has a core of about 10,000 really loyal fans. The student body uh, has really increased their intensity since they opened an on-campus stadium the season before last. That has been a big, big move for them right now. And they've come close to a solid a couple of times with Troy and, and Southern Mississippi over the last couple of years, but they're not there yet. It's going to take time. One of the things to help develop that is, um, is Kane Womack has made it a policy of He's going to give out at least five scholarships a year to kids from the Mobile area. He really wants to get the people in Mobile to consider it their team. And you, you know how it can be in that you're not going to get a guy who's the fifth generation Alabama fan. No, I didn't say Alabama alum because it's different. It's an Alabama fan. And you're not going to get those guys to not look at that. But you're going to say, look, you can go to a college football game 30 minutes from your house. And it's not going to cost you any amount of money compared to what you pay in Tuscaloosa. And you can still watch Alabama when you get home at night. So there's a there's a lot of ways to get people involved. It's definitely started to turn around this year, but the winning's got to be consistent. So if they can keep it up for a few more years, I really think they're gonna they're gonna start having a lot more fans coming in the door. And and a big part of it is too is is and you guys know this as well because of the timeline of getting this started. You haven't produced that many students yet who had football when they were students. So those are the guys you can get hooked, and those are the guys you can bring back in later when they're. You know, they're, they're a little beyond young adult and they've got families and they want to bring their kids to a football game and they still live in the area. Those are the guys you can really start building the solid foundation with. I will say that we have a lot of similarities there. So uh, we're in ACC country, a lot of UVA and tech fans that are, everyone calls them t-shirt fans because they just went and bought the t-shirt, right? We're competing with those folks. We're competing with the alums of ECU and Virginia Tech and UVA and so on and so forth. 
And then we have our own fans who picked other college football teams because we didn't have a team for so long. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of uh, people with kind of split personalities when it comes to the football. So we're trying, and I hope you guys keep building because the better y'all do, the better it'll be for the Sun Belt. Well, you guys do have the advantage. You do have the advantage of having an NFL quarterback yeah. from your ranks out there. That can't hurt. That's By right. the way, I Kayla, saw him play I uh, so he's from Collins Hill High School. I, I live in the Atlanta area now. I saw him play several times when he was in high school. I knew he was pretty good, but I didn't know he'd be this good. Yeah, he's been one of our few bright spots for football this season. He's offering a good distraction for us. So I have another question. So I, I can't imagine a lot of ODU fans are coming this week given our success, but also it being Thanksgiving weekend. For those that are making the trip, uh, what can you tell them about the stadium and the surrounding area, what they should be doing pregame or maybe a restaurant they need to go to? Well, uh, like I said, Hancock Whitney is a brand new stadium opened two years ago. It's pretty state-of-the-art. Seats about 25,000 people. Won't be close to a sellout with it being the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And, of course, that is the day of the Iron Bowl, the Alabama-Auburn game. So it's going to be I, – I, I expect a fairly sparse crowd for this game. Um, so parking is pretty easy. There's free parking that you'll see signs for as you approach the, the school and the campus. And they'll direct you and you can you can walk from there. I think some of them have a shuttle. Mostly it's a walk of maybe a quarter of a mile and a half a mile from the free lots. Or you can go ahead of time and buy a parking spot. I'm not familiar with the cost of those right now. Right around campus, there there's not a ton. I mean, there's things you can do to eat. For instance, there's a mellow mushroom and other places like that nearby. For, for local cuisine, I'd probably recommend somebody's knocking for a way called Wenzel's Seafood House. There, it's a it's sort of a local chain of I think a half dozen or so. There's one only a mile or two from campus. If you're all the way down there, you've come that far, go get some Gulf Coast seafood and enjoy that where there. Once this is probably the best place to go that's going to be close by. Doug, appreciate you coming on the show. I am way smarter when it comes to South Alabama now. I appreciate that. Let folks know where they can find your website and your radio show. Thanks. Uh, Jagsjungle.com. That's where our site is. So. I'm sure we'll have a, a game thread going pretty soon uh, later on this week. So people can come in and check that out. And uh, yeah, we do uh, we do a radio show as well. It's broadcast locally in Mobile on 99.5 Sports Radio um, every Tuesday from we're, we're Eastern Standard Time guys that we discussed. So it's on from three to four in Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it's 99.5, like I said, so you can always pick it up on iHeartRadio and listen to that. So we'll hopefully be featuring some old Dominion talk this week and get ready for the football game. All right. Thanks again, Doug. We really appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, it sounds like it's a great podcast. I look forward to listening to it and some other ones in the future. Awesome. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.